you want to learn the concept and then, well, what about three plus two? You know? Five. Yeah, if you know how to think about something, then you don't have to memorize every small point. You can learn how to critically think about something and then you don't have to memorize like all the little things. I'm Alia. And I'm Zachary. Welcome to Probably, Probably Not, Not Legit. Legit. Um, so we're reporting from you from beautiful Beijing. Today is 24 or 27 degrees Celsius, a little bit windy. We have these summer breeze, very beautiful blue sky with lots of clouds. Yeah, I was almost shocked when I was looking at the sky yesterday because it was so blue and I wasn't used to that. It hadn't been that blue for a while. Yeah, it just lightened uh, my mood, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, when you look out the window and you see the beautiful sky and then, I mean, ignore the skyscrapers, ignore the buildings that are like 30 floors and high. <laughs> yeah, lots of green. We live in a pretty good like area where there, there's lots of green. Lots of trees around between the buildings. Yeah. After getting our COVID tests, I would just usually take a short walk because normally I wouldn't be able to wake up so early during the week. But going to take COVID tests early now has become one of my routines. And it really gives me an excuse to wake up early to get COVID tests because there were less people when it's early. I don't know if that's true, though, because I feel that's like the line is pretty long early before... They start testing. That's like me imagining, you know, like basically telling myself, it gotta wake up early because the line's short in the morning, you know? Maybe. Yeah. But I feel like it's it's so fast anyway. It doesn't make much of a difference when you go. Yeah. You would only maybe have to wait a couple more minutes if you go in the afternoon. But it but yeah, it's it's not really a big deal, I feel. Yeah. Also, another thing that I noticed for the past week since Zachary started to work from home is that I feel the the line between the weekend and the weekdays is so vague now. It's so blurry. It feels like every day we have a certain period of time. It's kind of like a weekend. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's hard for me as well because my when I was at when I'm at the school, my schedule is so strict. Wake up at a very specific time and do very like every every hour of every day is, is planned very like strictly in terms of what time I wake up, when I do different things. And it's hard for me to, I'm not really following that routine as, as well because I'm here and, but it's nice though. To be honest, I don't really know what Zachary is doing most of the day because <laughs> we have separated our working space now. Uh, I'm mainly in the bedroom. That's my office. <laughs> Zachary is in the living room. That's his office. <laughs> so I really don't know. And then he wakes up way earlier than I did. So I have no idea. But we do see each other from time <laughs> to time. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Normally in the morning when I wake up, I'm doing my master's stuff, reading for the for my master's, or also 
getting things ready for my online lessons. So normally around seven, I'll stop whatever reading I'm doing for the masters and then create the meeting links and sending announcements for the online classes that I'm gonna be doing in the morning. And then just making sure everything is ready for my online lessons. And normally every day, the same kid will come online. <laughs> Joy. Because she wants help with her homework. And it's nice. Like, I don't mind. Like, I'm, I'm glad that she is very conscientious. But I also feel that she knows I'm going to help her. And it's easier because I'm basically helping her a lot. But I'm, I'm glad that she's... I'm glad that she's coming online to ask questions and she's being very involved with her learning, which is nice to see from a nine-year-old kid. And then usually by four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm basically done with working. How, tell us about the FU man. Oh, okay. So this is like a funny story. Uh, there's one student who's, he's kind of a naughty kid. He seems like a good kid, but he can be a little bit naughty because in class, he's always disruptive and calling him out. And recently I saw something. So we use OneNote for the, I, I assigned the homework on OneNote. And for one of the homeworks, there were there was a table where basically we were doing this activity where they have to identify a a problem, like a natural disaster type problem, and then a short-term solution and a long-term solution for that natural disaster. So I had helped them with the first row. And then the second row, uh, he wrote man in one of the tables, in one of the cells on the table. And then in the other cell, he wrote all the people die. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I, I took a screenshot of it I messaged the mom and I sent her the picture and she said, I don't know, what is this? Like, what does this mean? Did he not do the homework correctly? <laughs> because it's it's English, you know, and the mother didn't understand what the... Yeah, you would think that everyone in on earth <clears throat> would probably know what does F-U means, but, but no, guess they not don't. in China. That's not, yeah, they don't. So, and then I, I noticed that immediately after... I sent her that message. He had deleted that from the from the OneNote page. So I, he knew that it was bad and he knew that it was wrong because why would he have deleted it, right? But it didn't matter because I had the screenshot. So he told his mother that he didn't know what it meant. Uh, and then the mother was like, oh, it's some kind of misunderstanding. He doesn't know what it means. And then he sent me a message on Teams <laughs> that literally said, uh, teacher, about the man, I'm sorry, I don't know what this means. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and I know I'm completely certain that he knows what it means, but because he's a fourth grader, he thinks it's funny. He doesn't understand how disrespectful it is again because he's a fourth grader he just thinks it's a joke right so there's not much i can do because normally if if he did something like that in the classroom i would give a disciplinary letter that the mother would have to sign and it would be a big deal or maybe he would go to the principal's office 
But I can't really do that because he's at home, I'm at home. All I can do is let the mom know. And yeah, if he does it again, I guess I can issue a disciplinary letter and then just take a picture of it and send it and be like, he has this letter now for doing this. But yeah, that was pretty funny, honestly. So online teaching, the, the actual classes are not that much. But all of the other work in terms of tracking attendance, checking the homework, communicating with the parents, it's almost more work than normal teaching in the classroom. Mm. Zachary, I remember you mentioned earlier about the curriculum you're teaching is called IB. Yeah, International Baccalaureate. So you were saying the whole idea of the IB is to cultivate students' critical thinking ability. Well, it's, it's, what, it's what is called inquiry-based learning. So you, you do want the, the, the students to develop themselves in a more holistic way and also making them inquirers and thinkers is a really big part of the curriculum. Mm. You want, you want the, the kids to be able to think independently we're not trying, we're not really teaching them facts or we're not teaching them things to memorize. We're teaching them ways to understand and look at things. When I think about learning styles, it's more about the like, I guess I would call it the pedagogical approach. And based on my understanding of what I always thought, China is very focused on how getting kids to just memorize stuff memorize things and then give it back. And I see it a lot in the Chinese class, math class. In English, we don't do that because we're doing, so for the English, we're doing the IB. Well, the whole school is supposed to be IB. Chinese is supposed to be IB. Math is supposed to be IB. But for the English, we're doing what they call the unit of inquiry. So we're doing more of the inquiry-based learning in the English. So it's we're not doing like, oh, memorize this, and you have to memorize these words, you know, tomorrow, or you have to memorize this grammar point. We do, obviously, we do vocabulary and we do grammar, but it's more like, okay, here's the vocabulary, now let's use it. Here's the grammar point, now let's use it. Okay, and then looking at different, the different units of inquiry have a different focus that are supposed to create a, someone who is engaged with the world and able to think critically about the world around them, I would say. It's a very difficult thing to do to teach someone how to think because it's sometimes it's almost like pulling someone's tooth out because you, you can't like force it you know, you ha they, the, the student has to almost want to be engaged in the process with you. And a lot of times they just want to give back to you what you give to them. They just want to regurgitate information. And I think that's because that's what they're so used to doing. And that's what is always easiest. It's really easy to just, you know, I say one plus one equals two, and then you say, oh, one plus one equals two. Yay, I know it. I, I learned it now, right? But that's not, that's not the way it's supposed to be. 
you know, you want to learn the concept and then, well, what about three plus two? You know? Five. Yeah, I guess it's the, the idea that it's not the same thing. You shouldn't have to memorize every single thing. If you know how to think about something, then you don't have to memorize every small point. You can learn how to critically think about something and then you don't have to memorize like all the little things. But I mean, your experience growing up in China, do you feel that you, I mean, what is the, how would you say the, like the learning style, like predominantly? I think we have a term for that, 天涯式教学, like feeding duck style. What does that mean? means each student is like a duck, hungry duck, and then the teacher opened their head and put the, the fertilizers, the food inside, and closed the lid. <laughs> so each kid is like a hungry duck, and the teacher just throws like information in them? Yeah, and then like you said, you just need to remember, memorize them. I feel like that's predominantly the learning style we had when I was a little kid. Yeah, even before, I think when I was in primary school, the first grade, do you remember your first grade? First grade? Yeah. Not really. The first grade is teacher teach you the ABC, right? The alphabets and like simple math, like one plus one. So basically the teacher writes something on the blackboard and then you copy that and you remember that and then it has to do that the next day and repeat. Yeah. So I think that's what you mean, right? I guess so. Yeah. And then when you grow older, because the problem, I think, why do we have these duck feeding mode is because we are evaluated largely by taking these tests, the tests contained information from textbooks, right? Yeah. So the only way to get a higher score is just to get all the correct answers. And then in order to get correct answers, you need to remember them, the texts from the textbook. So instead of understanding a math equation, understanding a physics reaction or chemistry reaction, like the, uh, the ideology, the... Like the principles? The principles. I was thinking another word. Because I, I feel that when I was growing up, a lot of the education was, some of it was kind of like that. But there was always this idea of, from what I remember, it's like the overall goal, though, is not just to memorize stuff. It's to try to get people to, to think even though there was, I feel, depending on the teacher or the class, there's a lot of memorization going on. Because I do feel that that's an easier way to teach, though. It's like, here's the information. I'm going to give it to you. You read the book. And then on the test, you're just going to give back what I gave you. So I can see that you know it and that you learned it. Right? That's like a basic way of measuring knowledge but it's like a low level ability it's like base it's it just measures what like on even looking at bloom's taxonomy that's just like understanding right it's not like the higher level the higher level 
skills of that taxonomy is like you want to be able to apply the knowledge or use it in a new way. So you really understand it when you can apply the knowledge in a new way. But if you're not doing that, it's just, what are you going to do with it? I feel like you just memorize it and then six months later you forget it mostly anyway, right? Some of it gets into your long-term memory, but not, not really. But then I also have to think back to the entire learning process. Like just memorizing a bunch of information, that's got to be really boring for learning. Mm, it it's, is. And it seems like a lot of work, a lot more work than is really necessary. It's not necessary to do all that memorization, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, for me, I, I think my experience is too unique to 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 talk on this topic because uh, in middle school, we have like politics, history, physics, I think, and chemistry. I don't know if we had chemistry. I don't remember. Any, anyways, a bunch of subjects that you need to remember and memorize things. Uh, but my approach is, for example, if today I have a history lesson, I I would just can't wait to tell other people about what I learned today. I kind of like narrating the story, the, the things I learned from class to other people. And I when I come home, I would tell that again to my parents. Um, so by the time I take a next lesson in history, I already kind of like taught myself the same lesson three times already. So I just, it just really helps me to remember and un understand it. So I think it's too unique. It's very different from, uh, like, I don't, I didn't really need to memorize them, at least for, like, middle school, I think, if you know what I mean. I did the same thing with uh, geography because I really like the subject. So I would be, like, really excited to tell other people what I learned today. Um, and then I would, like, teach myself again, kind of, like, something like that. Yeah, and I think that that's, I mean, for things that you're you're naturally interested in, it's going to be different because you want to understand it. You want to know it, right? So even if you're given the information, you're not going to just accept the information you're given. You're going to question it internally and, and think about it logically. Yeah. But I feel like that's a lot of work. Like you have to kind of do that on your own. No one is doing that for you, right? Yeah, but I do understand some uh, some when it comes to the test time, like midterm, you know, final. Man, that's a lot of things you need to remember because we have these test questions, like open answer questions. Um, they give you uh, like a question, like this incident happened uh, in blah blah year. Can like you basically need to write down the entire process and the reasons why it failed or succeeded. Uh, who was the most important person in this battle or in this incident. So for one open-end question, you probably need to write like 300, 400 characters, Chinese characters. And that's a lot of information you need to remember and you need to organize in your own language to write it down. Other, I mean, that's the best way, right? You remember the facts and you narrate it. But a lot of students, what they were doing is there's already a, a provided contact, like text from the textbook. The easiest, easiest way is just to memorize the whole page, you know, and you just write down the whole thing exactly same as they are in the textbook. 
maybe a couple characters will be different because our memories are not, aren't 100% accurate, <laughs> right? Yeah. But that's the easiest way. That's all I did because I didn't want to put too much work when I was in high school. You just remember, because the teachers will give you, provide you like this, we call kojue. Uh, kojue is like short words that, that helps you remember the things in your memory. Mm. So for example, the first world war, second world war, maybe the kojue will be like one, two. So one is the first world war. And then you have a list of memory behind the, the number one, because you already remember the facts, right, about one. So when you look at one, you think of those things you remembered. And two, blah, 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 if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I find that really interesting, though, because if, if I would have done that for a paper in U.S., that would be considered plagiarism. A plagiarism? I can't. Because <laughs> it's exactly the same as a textbook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's totally, that would get an, an automatic F for copying what's in the textbook. Yeah, because we're not encouraged to think why this happened. Because the textbook already told you because of political reason, economic reason, uh, the, 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 I don't know, like for a history quiz, for example, they already told you because of the five factors, this thing happened. And all you need to do is to remember the five factors. Because that's really interesting because when I, I remember when I was in high school, the very first paper for my U.S. history class in 11th grade was arguing the the argument the, the teacher wanted us to make was is Christopher Columbus a hero or a villain which one and then you have to make your argument based on what you think based on the evidence so there's no there's no real correct answer you can say Christopher Columbus is a is a hero because da 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 or he's a villain because of da 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 so how do teachers evaluate? They like, basically said you have to, if you can support. So the first thing she was saying is that, well, first of all, it's a gray area. You can't really say one thing or another. But you have to support your thesis with, with an argument. And if you can support your thesis, you can back up your thesis, then, then that's a well-written paper. You, the main thing is supporting. And when I studied history in university, it's always about you can you can make almost any argument, but if you support your thesis with information, then you're fine. And you could easily make the exact opposite argument, and you could find other evidence to support it. Because within when you're when you're looking at history from a like scholarly perspective, there's always going to be other people who have the exact opposite opinion. Mm, so that's you can, the beauty of the humanity subject. Yeah, you can easily you can easily make your own argument, but but um, the the whole idea is there's no right answer there, right? There's no. It's completely open to interpretation. Yeah, that's interesting because when you look at a key, like answer key for any Chinese, I'm talking about like uh, compulsory education, right? If you look at any, uh, um, maybe sometimes not Chinese, but most of the answer keys, you have a sample answer. Uh, what you need to do is to get as close to that sample answer as possible. 
And that's it. That's it. Wow. Even for the open, like I'm talking about open answer questions. So if the textbook says this hero is this person is a hero, you can't say the person is a villain. You have to say the person's a hero. hero. And then you have to list the reasons from textbook why why they're a hero. Yeah. Wow. So I, I almost feel like it's a test of your memory memory and not critical thinking. Yeah. But I'm not sure how are things now because I I am indeed graduated for a decade now. Uh, more than that, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but that, at least that, that's what it was like. I remember there were a couple, maybe a couple of times in a semester, our teachers would try to uh, do these things that cultivate critical thinking because like maybe they'll have like one lesson in a semester. That'd be like, hey, let's discuss if this person is a villain or a hero. And nobody can think of anything else from the textbook that's so awkward. It's hard to do these lessons because students are so used to uh, finding things from te their textbook, you know. Yeah. So they don't know anything else because I, I I almost feel like one reason is because we were learned we were taught that way. The other is there weren't many resources for us either. There were no internets at that time. I can't really find them. And then we didn't have libraries in our city. We only have one bookstore, and the bookstore sells a lot of like books for. Uh, cramming, cramming, is that called cramming? Cramming. Right? Like you study. So yeah. more exercise books. <laughs> and it, it was really hard to find like extra like books to read for us, almost. I don't know. As I think it's my problem because I lived in a such a small city. There were no resources. So I don't know what was it like in the bigger cities. Maybe it was different, you know? Like if I were educated in Beijing, maybe I would be able to back up my thesis ideas to find by going to like a big library, national library and find things about that person. But I think it's unlikely because the teacher wouldn't tell you to do that in that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that it's a really interesting discussion. And I think that the, the entire, there's so much to be discussed when it comes to education. I think... Uh, when Zachary mentioned this topic to me, I was really interested because I thought, oh, I can relate to this, you know, like from, uh, I do know that Chinese students do lack creativity and critical thinking abilities. And you can easily see that from uh, a lot of platforms. Like if you look online for uh, Chinese international students, they are struggling to get in, fit into the foreign universities, like the, the study environment. It's really hard them to find like group members to work on projects. I feel like that's because they were educated in this way in China that made it difficult for them to think otherwise, or at least it was start, it was difficult to start. I mean, Zachary, you studied in Canada. You probably had experience with international, like Chinese international students, right? No. No, I never interacted with any inter Chinese international because students. Because they like to group together and yeah, only talk to themselves. I've never, I would only ever see, and maybe it's, I don't want to be like insensitive, but they were, from what I could see, they're always very like in their clique very much in like a click together. I feel like one reason is because they're scared of, for example, they're scared of uh, involving themselves in a new surrounding environment. Another thing is 
I guess they really don't know how. They don't speak real English really well, I guess, and they don't want to be discriminated against. They don't want to be looked down upon, and a lot of way. And then these factors caused like the reality that a lot of Chinese international students just hang out with Chinese international students when they study abroad. I mean, it's it's easier. It's, it's easier. It's definitely it's easier. certainly. Uh, I mean, that's a to- that that's another topic for discussion. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Language is really a big issue. You know, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with you, right? I feel like it's 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 hard when the other party has these hostile uh, ideas or things about you or this area that you are from. It's really hard to interact with them. Yeah, no, I I agree, and I I I think that this is like an entirely this is a whole another discussion we can talk about another time. All right, let's call it a day. Ah, uh. leave a rating and review. Bye.